Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets of great storytelling. I'm really excited for 2019. We're getting off to a good start, and I hope that everyone has enjoyed the holiday season. Here at the Story Blender, we have a fantastic guest to get us rolling for this new year. Edgar Award-winning novelist Meg Gardner writes fast-paced thrillers full of twists and turns that keep readers guessing until the very end. Her books have been called Hitchcockian and Nail-Biting and Moving by USA Today and The Guardian. They have been bestsellers in the U.S. and internationally and have been translated into more than 20 languages. Into the Black Nowhere, her current title is the second novel in the Unsub series featuring rookie FBI agent Caitlin Hendricks. Publishers Weekly calls it excellent, and the first novel in the series, Unsub, won the 2018 Barry Award for Best Thriller and is in development as a television series by CBS. In addition to writing 14 novels and numerous short stories, Meg is a three-time Jeopardy! champion and a citizen of the Chickasaw Nation. She lives in Austin, Texas. So, Meg, thanks for being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. So congratulations on the new project in development with CBS. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, It's been exciting. I can't talk about it anymore, but there's stuff going on, so hopefully I'll have more news before long. <laughs> uh, no problem, but um, at least we can let people know to keep an eye out for it. Right. So uh, for a number of years, um, we've be- bo- both taught at the master class at Thriller Fest, and I've always heard good things about your classes. Um, well, I was curious, when you're teaching um, aspiring novelists and those who are trying to really take their writing up to a higher degree, um, wh- what are some of the guiding principles that you try to share with them? Gosh, uh, likewise, I've heard great things about your class. I know we've spoken very briefly about our approach to teaching in a workshop setting. Number one, uh, to respect what the um, students are are trying to accomplish. Generally, uh, the people I teach at workshops like this or anybody who's out there trying, unless you're 12 years old, (laughs) you know all the basics about, uh, about writing. Most of the people I have been teaching lately are often professionals in other fields, whether that's law, medicine, uh, construction, whether they, you know, they, they're pipe fitters or whatever, they are adults, they know, know how to get work done. And so helping them understand the basics of story structure, sometimes as when I started off writing fiction, I just had a general kind of intuitive sense of how stories were structured. Sure. And that got me going but didn't get me to the end because I would just sort of wander off on tangents and not really <laughs> understand how a plot uh, can really solidly develop to, to hold together. So um, often making explicit to eager, inventive, creative people how 
narrative structure has has uh, worked successfully since the days of uh, before even Greek drama, since the days you know when there were cave paintings and we were holding each other wrapped around the the nighttime fires, that can help them see how to strongly develop their uh, their work from beginning all the way to a gripping ending. Yeah, I think it's, you know, you mentioned that intuitively you had these sort of maybe beats or notes in, in your mind of where things have to happen. And, and then um, as you develop, you start to take a closer look at it. I guess it's like any any art form or something like um, there are certain constructs and conventions out there that are important to kind of tap into and then um, but go your own way so that it doesn't end up becoming cookie cutter or cliche like that. Precisely and that's where talking about character development comes in and the interplay between character development and plot comes in, I'm a very strong believer in saying that there's no such thing as either a completely character-driven story or a plot-driven story, or you could rather, an author can try to come up with one, but neither of those is going to be satisfactory to readers, because plot is made out of characters, right? Plot is what the characters do. It's about the challenges they face and the choices they make uh, as the as you know they receive pushback through conflict in the story. So really focusing on how to think deep more deeply about character and not be afraid to to put your character's feet to the fire. You know, yeah. put them up against the wall and force them to rise to the challenge. There's that's what I love about writing, and I want the want anybody else who's out there to to try to do the same because those are the stories I want to read. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, you know, writing thrillers, suspense, intrigue, mystery, and all of that, uh, we we almost have an advantage because you have conflict everywhere. You have inner turmoil and questions of does justice exist and how far can you you take it to um, try and see justice done? Should you take it into your own hands? And, of course, there's crimes and and terrorists and serial killers or whatever. Those are the books I've loved to read since (laughs) I was in about seventh grade. Right. Uh, So those are the books I want to write. I want to read stories where people are dealing with the greatest, crises that, uh, that that anybody can face in their life whether and it, it will be a combination of of personal and uh interpersonal and yeah. exterior threat and that that really gets uh my motor gunning on all all cylinders and uh I hope it does for readers too. <laughs> you know, I like Meg how you mentioned um character and and plot like a lot of people if they're around english teachers at, at all or something professors and so on they'll be like is this a plot driven story or is this a character driven story and i agree with you really and uh, my point is that all stories are driven to uh forward by tension um and that comes from unmet desire whether it's internal as you just mentioned external or interpersonal and that struggles what drives it forward so so it isn't just describing a character or having a bunch of exciting things happen. It's all about that unmet desire that they're trying to pursue uh, through the story. Yes, and I think, I I believe you're the one that's used this example before, and I've, I've uh, cribbed it from you, that when you're writing a story... Uh, Never tell it in the in in the in the way of this happens and then this happens, and then this happens and then that happens. That's 
how we write our first grade, um, what I did on my summer vacation <laughs> right. report. The better way to do it is to uh, is to start by saying uh, uh, this happened and then this is what went wrong, <laughs> um, or yeah. this happened but that happens. It's all in the the, the tension is uh, driven by the conflict which arises from the but and the therefore. People aren't just all sliding downhill on a sheet of ice. They are. Uh, they have a goal in mind, and they may think they have a, a clear sled ride down to the uh, down to the finish line. But something, someone, all of the above, steps in and obstructs their their goals and their desires, and th- that's where the fun in the story develops. Yeah, there's um, plan A never works out exactly as they as they want it to. I, I I think I told someone unless there's a plan B, you have a plot flaw. It's <laughs> like if everything you know goes, oh, we expect we're going to make this sled ride or whatever, and they do. There's really no setbacks, conflict, story. So Precisely, just, I tell people yeah. to develop if you're going to have it, whether it's a caper uh, story. Uh, uh, courtroom drama, whatever, lay out the character's plan A, and then have it go wrong. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you've just you've just given every reader a, a, a spoiler list. <laughs> so, but yeah. that's the, the, then the gap between expectation and result grows as well. We know what the characters want, what they have worked to achieve, where they're going with it. But when when uh, the you know when the struts get kicked out from beneath their best laid plans that's when that's when the, the tension grows and readers are going to continue turning pages desperate to find out what happens next i really like what you just said the gap between expectation did you say expectation and result or something yeah, like that yeah yeah that's nice the way to look at it is there's a there's a gap there and and um making the most of that seems like a really good way to tap into the tension Oh, that's uh, that's one of my favorite things. Now, I, I I don't think I came up with that phrase myself. That's probably from um, is that from McKee. McKee. But once I thought about that, I realized that's a, a wonderful way to write. Then you're yeah. not just having page after page of meandering conversation with your characters relaxing on the deck. But we've we've all run into those books, haven't we? Especially as we're working with other authors. Yeah, and we've all learned how not to not to write that. I mean, when I first started out, I I had no idea about the you know the 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 gap between expectation and result, and I thought that the best thing I could do was write pages of witty banter, where the characters were just you know snap, crackle, pop, you know, right back at each other like a screwball comedy. But I wasn't writing screwball comedy. I was supposed I was trying to write a thriller. <laughs> it didn't go anywhere. Now, um, as you as you have taught people through, throughout the years, what are some of the maybe I guess er, not maybe not errors, but weaknesses that you've seen um, often in the work of people who are trying to develop their craft? Um, I think you just pointed out one just now, and that is that they'll go back and forth with dialogue and maybe but no, nothing is really being developed to move the story forward. Yeah. The story has to move forward. Yeah. Uh move it through, forward through conflict between uh, characters or external events somehow uh I train myself I remember when I was trying to write something I said something has to happen on every page. 
Mm. Otherwise, you can just you can just meander along with atmosphere or description or or dialogue or interior monologue, which is even worse. Something has to happen to move the story forward on every page. The other thing I see, and I'm sure we all face this ourselves, and we probably still do when we're starting a, a new new story or novel and we're a little tentative about exactly um, where to, to launch into it, is that often the story starts too soon. You need to you need hmm. to know exactly where the right place is to start the story. So I tell my students um, about beginnings, know what the chase is, and cut to it. Start start as late as possible in the story as you can. You know, start in medias res in the middle of things. Uh, then you don't have table setting or, you know, like you're not giving a cast list or just having people uh, slowly assemble on the page for, you know, for chapter after chapter. We've got to get it. We've got to launch straight into what actually has disturbed the world uh, in which these characters lived and what they're going to do about it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, starting the story as close to the ending as possible <laughs> seems like an, uh, not advice that we typically hear, but, you know, starting it as late as possible instead of just having characters sort of people the scenes without having anything really develop. I like that. <laughs> well, you know all that intuitively, at least you don't. You don't have you know like your hero. You don't have chapter after chapter of your your hero and antagonist uh, on the playground as as children, uh, just sort of developing their their daily lives. You, you, you're right. right in the thick of it from the very beginning. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking of different cliched ways of opening books, and I've made these mistakes in some of my books, but but I've been teaching people to keep an eye out for the three um, sort of cliched openings, and one is there's an arrival, that a character drives up to somewhere, or a ship docks, or a submarine arrives at the port or something. Another one is where someone wakes up suddenly <laughs> in bed, especially with someone that they don't really care about, Right. And oh, wait, with someone dead. I would, that's, that's, is that what you said? That, or, or with someone dead, but, or with someone that they just don't care about, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but they wake up and they go about their morning, you know, checking their email or to go in and jog or, you know, waking right. up somehow. And then, and then the, um, the third one is a point-of-view character gets killed off. So we meet this character in the opening, and by the end of the first chapter, he's, he's killed off. And in thrillers, we just... We see these so often. I was at, I was teaching at one of the conferences, and uh, this guy had an opening scene with a serial killer and a girl, and uh, she's in the bar or whatever. She's a college girl, and he, she comes out and gets in the car, and the serial killer kills her, and he'd gone back and forth with the two point of views at the beginning. And I said, well, it's kind of a cliche to have your uh, main character get killed off, or the point of view character get killed off in the opening. And he goes, but everybody does it. <laughs> like, that's what makes it a cliche. <laughs> so, and I've done that before too. Know, not, not in first person, but I've had I've had a had a, a point of view character who doesn't survive beyond chapter one. Yeah, uh, and, and, it's, and and you know, like people say, people will point at one of my books. Oh, you had someone do this. And I'm like. I know, but I'm trying to you know develop stories where I don't fall into 
doing what everybody does. I mean, we want our stories to follow conventions to a certain point, but not end up be becoming um, just you know the same as as every right. And I every other often story. I think writers who are just starting out they they do try to. Uh, to write the kind of scene that they that they have frequently read because they know it has been successful for other authors and they are hoping to match whatever that ineffable quality is that has uh, made those stories sure. popular. But I've I've run into this as well when I have judged uh, writing competitions where you know did you just you just start writing down the number of scenes that open with you know with the the cop waking up with another hangover with right with yeah. the young with the, the the extremely attractive young rookie banging on his door telling him uh, he hasn't picked up his phone uh, and he's got to get down to the river because uh, yet another prostitute has been found murdered <laughs> no <laughs> so yeah that's never been done before you know no. but uh yeah it, it, keeping it fresh while understanding the conventions uh, yeah you want people to stretch their boundaries uh to to know what what has worked what readers expect but you know you've got to learn how to think in a divergent way so to kind of come at a story from a fresh perspective that's that's what makes it all fun now you've written a number of different series. Um, what what are the challenges? Well, first of all, I kind of have two sort of questions. One is the challenge of keeping them all straight in your mind and de- developing the different s- series characters and stuff without maybe overlapping in the way that you approach stuff. Um, and then the second one has to do with how you end a book that's that's in a series. So let's. Let's chat for a second just about the fact. How many different series have you worked on? Three. Yeah. Uh, the, the one I'm writing now, the Unsub series, is my third, and uh, two two books in that series are out so far, and the third will be out this year. So, you know, I started my first series without even thinking of it as a series, as a lot of yeah. us do. I, I had a story I wanted to write. And uh, then uh, was offered a publishing deal, and the first thing they say is, "Can you write uh, a sequel to this?" And I said, "Of course I can." And then I often <laughs> panicked <laughs> to try to figure out what to do. That's the right answer. Yes, of course I can. And... So um, that first series, I, I, I had come up with the idea of the characters in the Evan Delaney series pretty much uh, before I'd come up with a with a an entire world for the series. I had a strong idea for the the initial novel and uh, wrote that. And then it was, I, I loved writing that series and I would love to, uh, to continue it because I did kind of leave the last uh, novel in that series on a, on a cliffhanger. But of course I had these characters. It was, it was published as a suspense series, a crime series, and the the main characters are um, in the in the legal profession, but they're not. Okay. But they're not uh, criminal investigators. So the question then becomes how how could I sustain for a long period uh, a story a crime series where the where the where the characters are not criminal, you know they're not homicide investigators yeah. or even necessarily criminal ator- attorneys. So that was my first lesson, that if you want to write a series uh, in the mystery or thriller uh, genre, unless you're writing a, a cozy series, which this was very much not, 
you, you need to find a set of stories and uh, situations and give your characters skills uh, that will allow them to have more than one story going forward. Uh, my second series, the, the Joe Beckett series, is about a forensic psychiatrist who works, who consults for the San Francisco Police Department. So she's always on call when they have uh, these uh, cases that cannot be resolved by forensics or eyewitness testimony or, you know, video surveillance. Uh, her job is to figure out whether a death is accident, suicide, or homicide when mm-hmm. even the cops and the medical examiner cannot uh, determine what's happened. So that always, that gives her, you know, that series uh, an entree into every single variety of crime that, that uh, might occur. So I, it took me a while to kind of figure out the whole series thing, yeah. but uh, your question was about how many threads do you leave open at the end of a story, I believe? To kind yeah, of- you know, like, um, we want closure. Obviously, readers want, they don't want to be teased too much, but on the other hand, we do like uh, very often to leave sometimes cliffhangers. And how do you balance that out, you know, the threads that you tie up and the ones that you leave open? Rewriting. <laughs> <laughs> I, in every series novel I've written, I try to uh, – there, there's always a, a main story, uh, and I try to tie that up pretty strongly at the end. Yeah. But uh, there are – you know, there are subplots. There's sort of, um, you know, the the art, the mythology of the character's world uh, carries over. And I've tried to have subplots or, you know, something from their, their past that, uh, that drives them forward and that is unresolved. Either some, uh, some mission that they feel that, that drives their entire life that's going to kind of overarch the whole series or something that uh, that comes up during the story that they can't they can't sort out during the, that particular book and needs to needs to go forward. So you need to have a past, a present, and a future for hmm. for each of your yeah. characters. Is kind of is kind of what I think. And some readers will they want it all tied up with a little bow, and they get very annoyed if there's even if you. Um, you know, leave leave one tiny thread open. Did you know? Did she ever deliver the cupcakes to her neighbor? <laughs> <laughs> or, or as I learned to my to my, uh, I still get emails about this one. This was an accident on my part. I um, in one book, I had a, a, a young uh, a boy is kidnapped, a tween is kidnapped, and his dog gets taken with him. Oh boy. And at the end, we know that the boy is safe. And I thought I had made it really clear that the dog was okay. The, but I still get reader, readers emailing me years later saying, you know, where's whiskey? Is whiskey safe? So I have now put on my website, whiskey is safe. Oh, that's, that's fun. That is so funny. It's like, and then in our books, it's like you can kill people off. But if you leave a dog in jeopardy, or if you kill a dog, boy, will you hear from people. Absolutely. I, uh, I, had... well, I have a question for you about killing people off. Oh, boy. Yeah, what's that? No, do you uh, – at what point do you, do you decide that you have to uh, make your characters work without a net and that, uh, that anybody can be in danger? Um. I, I mean, I don't outline or plot out my books at all, so I'm very organic in the way that I do it. And I consistently ask myself different questions to sort of f- 
feel out the story. And there have been times where I was like, I can't believe that this character is going to die. Mm-hmm. I had no idea when I started the book that's what was going to happen. And it just happened in the book that I was was writing recently. I had a character that I never would have expected to to die ended up as I wrote the story I realized that he he needed to and I've had uh I just it's an interest it's really interesting hearing your take on you know series and 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 how you wrap up because I just finally finished this 11 book series that I wrote over the last 12 years and uh, and wrapped it up with the final book last year and so it was interesting to hear sort of how you approach that and it's a, it's a bit similar but then i came to the last book and i was like now from 11 books are there any <laughs> are there any threads that i need to tie up that i haven't done in the last decade that was hard <laughs> did, did you tie them all up or did you let some of them sort of dangle a little a bit? few dangle yeah um but i tried to i kind of look at it like um that there are promises we make, and if it's a big enough promise, I want to make sure there's a resolution to it. Um, I had one one book it. that I wrote uh, for young adults that I had given to my teenage daughter to read through to see if if she liked it, and she said, "I don't like how there's everybody lives happily ever after at the end." And I was like, "Okay, that's kind of interesting," and so I ended up changing it some so that there was you know, and everybody didn't live happily ever after, but. It sort of struck me that, at least in her case, she wanted an honest ending more than she wanted a happy ending. Oh, so since then, that's kind of what I've sh- I've been shooting for, is an ending that feels honest to the story, where I'm not trying too hard to make it happy for everyone. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of a principle I've started to try and apply to the endings of the stories. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I think you, if, if it's all too convenient, then readers will be disappointed. Yeah, I think so, and and uh, and and yet I think we do sort of want things to go well for these characters we care so much about, and you know, in a certain way, we want we do want them to be you know, able redemptive to or happy to, to, for their neighbors, and then just sit on the porch <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. watch the sun go down. But that that's not going to sustain them or our careers. <laughs> exactly, that's right. No kidding. So, um, so uh, do you tend to? plot out your stories more, or do you tend to let them grow organically as you write them? Which kind of approach do you take? I plot them out. So I am really in admiration of your ability to let them grow organically uh, in such a successful uh, and satisfying way. Uh, I know I need to outline because I've tried it your way, Yeah, <laughs> and I don't... I don't have the radar. Uh, I find myself stuck up a creek so far without a paddle or a canoe or a machete to hack my way out. <laughs> Get stuck there. And I've gotten uh, I've gotten fairly far into uh, a couple of stories when I was first first trying to write suspense that you know I could get 60 70 80 pages into a story just winging it and then I would find out I had no idea you know I had one one book where I that was never published thank goodness where I said something needs to happen so the character the characters start across a crosswalk and this you know like blinding set of headlights comes on and there's an engine guns and races toward them and um, then I stopped because 
I had no idea who was behind the headlights or why anybody would be after them. And, you know, the person that was like, I was like the chipmunk in the headlights myself. I had no idea what was going on. So that's when I realized I needed to outline. I need to think about uh, the beginning, the middle, uh, you know, some strong turning points in the story and a general direction that it's heading toward an ending uh, yeah. and, and to think about the, the main characters and the main conflict in the story. Uh, once I kind of get that in my head, I, I mean, I spent I spend a couple months really hashing it out, throwing, you know, throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks, um, figuring out when the conflict is strong enough, what is it, uh, when is it emotionally resonant. And once I can kind of look at the beginning, middle, and the end, and once I know where the end needs to be, then I can make sure I have started it at the right place. But now, you're known for stories that have kind of twists and turns in the plot, and things don't always go exactly as we expect, but then at the end, there's fulfillment. And it, sort of at what point in your process do those twists come to you? Is it early, or is it later as you throw the spaghetti on the wall? It's as I throw the spaghetti, and some of it starts to, <laughs> starts to roll down the plaster towards the floor. Uh, so, no, the twists come as, as the more I think about it. They yeah. come toward the end. Um, and I'm actually going to teach next uh, next summer at, at Craft Fest. And it's really interesting. I'm going I'm to um, offer a session about plot twists because so many uh, of my students have asked me about this that I, I realize I really need to to be able to uh, explain my process and how they can try to uh, generate their own. Uh, sometimes it happens when I've um, outlined or written a chapter that seems very straightforward and I can see exactly what will happen next from that. And then I, or sometimes my agent or editor, will say, stop and say, this has become predictable. Hmm. You know, this, you know, this develop like this murder is uh, splashy, um, dramatic, and entirely foreseeable. So uh, that's when I look back and say, how could I literally flip the script? What would happen if I, um, if I changed direction totally? What is the least likely thing a character could, you know, what is the most likely thing a character would do at that point? Think of that and then try to think of every other option. What's the opposite that could happen? And that will break open all kinds of possibilities. So, so that really was a con the comment I made about this, this murder is splashy, you know, and, and entirely foreseeable. I thought, <sighs> then I did get a comment saying, what would happen if uh, you flipped the identities of the attacker and the victim? Hmm. And I thought, Wow. At first I thought, well, that's kind of weird. But then I thought, if I do that, the entire story breaks open in a whole new direction. And I can go back and set it up very easily uh, without it becoming obvious. And then it can um, create all sorts of new, unexpected problems for the, for the protagonist, for Caitlin, who is chasing after this uh, very clever uh, and uh, devious killer. So it was fun. It's good. Think about what you uh, what what can happen. What's what's the obvious thing that could happen next, and then do the opposite. That's that's a starting point for trying. I like to it. Yeah, I like it. I um, it's so interesting when I speak with people who plan out their stories and plot them out and so on because it's so foreign to me. Uh, like I've never started a book where I know how it will end, and none of my books have ever ended where I've thought they might end. 
And so it's just this whole idea of being able to launch in, knowing, okay, here's the direction I'm going. It's like, what would that be like? I can't imagine. <laughs> but obviously, I think we're just doing it in, diff- in a different, slightly different form. I think yeah. we must have a really strong intuitive sense of story structure that uh, that guides you as you write so that you you know how a character has you know characters need to confront each other how uh turning points need to come up at a, a certain by a certain point in the story to to make sure that there's plenty of momentum and that the you know the complexity of the story is is increasing and, and you know becoming more complicated i i find it uh Easier to try to do that in a at least sketching an outline beforehand at a time, and then and then I then I just blow it up on the page, which still yeah. feels very creative. And in fact, and of course, I I don't necessarily stick a hundred percent to the outline. If something better occurs to me um, in the heat of the moment, I I go with that, and, and that's included the opposite of what you said. Somebody has to die. I had I had an entire outline for a novel written. And when I got to the point where the guy was supposed to die, I liked him way too much. <laughs> See, this a, is what I like hacker, to hear. He's a hacker, a stoner, lives out in this trailer out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. And in the outline, you know, the, the bad guy shows up and um, and gets rid of him because he's a, an obstacle. So, But when I wrote, started writing that scene, you know, the bad guy arrives at the trailer um, the the hacker gets up and and realizes that things are are heading in a bad direction, but he pretends to be super stoned and just says, "I'm going to go heat up some pizza. Uh, you want a slice?" And he goes into the the kitchen, turns on the microwave, and then he opens the back door, jumps down in the sand, and runs. <laughs> and he's then he, I thought he's he's going to get away. He's going to get away. <laughs> And he did. He was. He became a critical character. Uh, he, and and he became the the best friend for the heroine in the story. So I, I think he, he 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 convinced me he needed to be alive. See, maybe you do have a few organic genes inside of you, after all. Possibly, <laughs> yes. Um, so so yeah. As you, one of the things that I like to sort of pick the brains of people is not just the stories they write, but the stories they love. Now, when you're when you're reading a book, let's say, are there any things that really turn you off or make you want to set the book aside and not want to read any further, or or what are the things in a more positive, you know, direction, if you want, that really draw you in and say, I'm, I love this this story. This is really, this is really just for me. Cliche turns me off because yeah. I've read so much. If the story just hits every single same note that I've been reading since I was a kid without anything fresh, without, you know, an extraordinary authorial voice, uh, without characters that reinvent, uh, you know, the tropes or the the stories that that we know so well, that uh, that just kind of doesn't excite me. Yeah. Uh, My favorite authors always excite me. I'm sure you're the same. They're just people whose books we... We know we are in not just safe hands, but um, delightful hands once we open up one of their novels and that we are just going to go into such a world that we don't want to leave it. Uh, yeah, that. that's a great way to to say it, a world that you don't, you know, you don't want to leave it. Whether it's, uh, you know... Reacher books, whether it's Lee Child, whether it's Sarah Paretsky's Chicago, 
uh, James Lee Burke's Louisiana. Um, it's, uh, those are the authors whose characters pull us through, I think, number one. If you're going to read a series, it has to, it has to be the, the, ca- the characters that uh, keep you coming back, number yeah. one. But they have to be challenged and um, moved forward on, on some level in, in every book. So, uh, you know, just, yeah. just a, a book that I would like to – I would build myself, you know, like a, a blanket fort <laughs> and crawl underneath of my library and never come out if I could. For me, you know, the books that – that it becomes unbelievable or whenever people talk about the disbelief or the suspension of disbelief or whatever. But when I'm reading a story and if I'm like, come on, I don't buy it. That would never happen. That's one of the big ones for me to be like, I'm not going to finish this. Right. And, and so believability, even if it's an extraordinary set of circumstances or an impossible situation, when writers build up that believability so that I'm at the point of like, well, yeah, of course they're using drones to shoot down satellites or, or whatever it is. And then, you know, by the end, I'm like, of course, yeah, there's probably really is some guy out there who can, um, who's injecting himself with something so that he'll have wings, you know. <laughs> it's like, Agreed. And it, that's yeah. the author's skill. The, 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 the suspension of disbelief can be a, an enormous web if you do it, um, if you do it well enough. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, for me, one of the just really fun th- stories, of course, that does that, I think, is Jurassic Park and how, you know, you start, you get into the story and there, there's dinosaurs and there's mosquitoes with blood caught in, you know, the mosquitoes and whatever, the amber that they have. And you start thinking it through one by one and you're like, this totally makes sense. It I'm does. sure there are dinosaurs somewhere. <laughs> it's brilliant, and there are few yeah. people who can do it as brilliantly as Michael Crichton did in that novel. Yeah. Which is why we can reread that book or, or rewatch the movie, and it it always feels uh, fresh. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I I could watch that movie, you know, a couple of times a year and would still enjoy it. I think it's just a I think it's just great storytelling. I really do, you know. <laughs> So um, I'm curious, tell us about your new project. You're doing this new series, and um, either what, what's your latest book that's just come out or, or maybe a new project that you have on your plate. What's, what's new or what's, new, or what's next? Well, the, uh, I'm writing the Unsub series, which is about uh, the first series I've really written where the, uh, the heroine is, uh, is a cop. She's a homicide investigator. She starts out uh, as a very green, not even a homicide detective uh, in the Bay Area and is recruited to the FBI. Uh, so she's, she's young. She's trying to figure out how everything works. She's from a police family. Her father was uh, a homicide detective. And I, I started writing the series about the way I could turn into fiction um, a couple of real crimes um, and, and make them turn out satisfactorily, at least on the page, if they yeah. can't in real life. So Unsub uh, was sparked by um, the case of the Zodiac. I grew up in California and oh, yeah. was, a, you know, remember seeing the police drawings of this guy in the in the newspaper with the, with the hood, with the symbols on it, and uh, aware that this was a very scary 
person who and still has never been caught. And of course, that's what the whole unsub idea is, the unknown subject, which is what the FBI calls the bad guys that they're seeking when you don't know who they are. So the, the Zodiac is the ultimate California unsub. He's never been identified or arrested. And I thought, what, happened, what would happen if him or somebody like him um, picked up where he left off years ago? Oh, sure. So uh, that's, how, that's how that book was launched. Uh, then uh, the sequel, Into the Black Nowhere, I, I started looking at other crimes. I want to see what... What twists my uh, gut and excites my imagination when I'm reading about a real-life case uh, where I can – I never want to say a serial killer case has, you know, uh, inspired me. Inspiration is not the right word. Yeah. But, uh, but sparked an idea for a case, and I had read uh, The Stranger Beside Me, Ann Rule's true crime book about Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. was fascinated by the idea of um, – a killer who expertly wears the mask of sanity is successful, handsome, the kind of guy that a lot of parents would be delighted to have their, um, you know, their college daughter bring home to dinner on a Sunday evening, but uh, has a terrible hobby on the side, which is murder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, thought, how? I love how we as thriller writers are like, yeah, he has a terrible hobby, I and mean, he's, he's a killer. <laughs> right. So I thought, so I, and I think uh, I wanted to have this, have my character face off against someone who is, is charming, devious, cunning, uh, that her instincts about him aren't matched by what everybody in his life uh, wants to believe, so she has to figure out a way to, to unmask him. So it becomes a cat and mouse, a cat and mouse game, and uh, the third book will be out later this year uh, about a home invasion uh, uh, attacker in Southern California, and uh, Caitlin and her her team from the FBI are trying to uh, help the LAPD um, bring him to ground. So yeah, it's yeah, fun. It sounds great. You're really into this uh, new series. It sounds like you're really grounded in it right now. That's awesome. No, I really, I am enjoying it. I do. I want everybody who reads my books to, you know, to, to, to feel the tension, the suspense, to feel like they're on a roller coaster ride where, you know, it's pulse pounding suspense. They feel, you know, it's high octane and all that. But I really want readers to enjoy the stories, to, to, to feel that they're in the, the shoes of the investigators who are on an extremely challenging, perhaps dangerous quest to um, to bring in to identify and, and apprehend these criminals but I want readers to to feel challenged and really enjoy the whole thing to like the characters and to uh, and to want to read more so what are you working on oh I well I finished up that the Patrick Bauer series and um, I just finished a near future thriller that takes place 30 years in the future that actually has to do not with artificial intelligence, but artificial belief. Like once machines have free will, what will they choose to believe and how will that affect society? So it's been really fun to do something different. And um, I I'd, I'd spent about 12 years, you know, on, on this one series, and now I'm exploring some other ideas I've had over the past few years that I kept putting on the back burner. And I'm no, like, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I need to try it. And I think it's true, and I, you've done different series, and I've done a couple, and, and I think as a creative person, if we just do the same thing over and over again, it's, it's 
our work will end up becoming very formulaic and it just doesn't stretch us and so i think at least for me i need to try something new every once in a while just completely different and that's what keeps me fresh and totally absolutely I mean, writing a series you can you can start to see how easy it would be to follow the the template of you know the the way the plot developed in the previous book because that's going to save you mental exertion but we have to put in the work anyway and it's, yeah, it's fun it's, to create a new world it it's harder but it's extremely rewarding yeah it it um i kind of i really like how you've mentioned a few times this whole idea of creating a world that people don't want to leave with characters that they want to spend time with i it really resonates with me because um, the, one of the key questions I've started to ask myself is just is just that: Would readers really want to spend time with this character? Precisely. And if they they wouldn't, I'm thinking, well, why am I asking them to? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they probably, you know, if it's not someone they want to spend ten or twelve hours sitting down and spending time with, then I haven't done my job. I haven't done, you know, my homework to really. Okay, and it's and it's like these these characters that we create. We want people to spend time with, at the expense of their other relationships. Like, <laughs> I don't want you to spend time with your wife or your kids. I want you to go read my book. And I want so, to give you insomnia. I want you to to struggle into work, to miss your stop on the subway. I want to torture you in the best way possible. In the best, I want to torture you in the best way possible. Someone said to me one time, she came up and she goes, "I took you into the bathroom with me." I'm like, oh, oh, "Okay, well." Yeah, thanks. I'm 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 glad. I think I I think you meant my book, and I'm glad that's that's all I want to know about that. But <laughs> too much information. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, Meg, I've really enjoyed you know the chance to catch up a little bit and chat about story and storytelling, and I'm, I'm excited about the new series that you're doing. And Into the Black Nowhere is available um, now, and we want our readers to check that out and to. Um, of course, uh, follow you online wherever you might be doing, you know, book signings or, or some instruction. I know you'll be doing, you mentioned at Craft Fest this summer up in New York City. Is there a good place for us to tap in uh, to maybe what you're working on or what you're doing? What's the best website to go to? MegGardiner.com, that's M-E-G-G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R.com, or on Twitter at MegGardiner1. And uh, that's usually where I hang out online. But if you go to my website, it will lead you to Facebook, my blog, Instagram, um, and wherever. So that's kind of a one-stop shop for people to start at. Excellent. And uh, for information about my books, you can go to stephenjames.net. And for more about our other guests and to check out our other broadcasts, you can click to thestoryblender.com. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening in and tuning in here in 2019. We're excited about a great year, lots of exciting guests coming up. And thanks, Meg, for for your time and insights. And, And folks, always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. We'll see you next time.